Welcome back to another episode of Across the Airwaves, after our long hiatus that was way longer than I said it would. But in case you forgot, we are the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the television industry. And back with me, by popular demand, is my other co-host, who I hope you guys haven't forgotten about, because he's a huge part of our site, our very own... Hey, everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to our Comic-Con episode. Yes, it's our Comic-Con episode. It's exciting. Yes, very exciting. And in this week's episode, it's dedicated towards covering the TV-based news revealed at Comic-Con 2012. This includes Dan and I discussing the trailer screenings and celebrity panels that occurred at the convention in which the people behind our favorite shows share information about their new season premiering in the fall, and I was lucky enough to attend this year. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know or have not gotten the chance to experience it like Nico did over the weekend. It is a convention held in San Diego that originally showcased comic book, science fiction, fantasy, film, and television. And now the convention has expanded over the years to include a larger range of pop culture elements, such as horror, anime, manga, animation, toys, collectible card games, video games, web comics, and fantasy novels. Basically, if it's anything in the entertainment industry, it's pretty much at Comic-Con now. And the convention is probably the largest in the Americas and second largest in the world, filling to capacity the San Diego Convention Center with over 125,000 attendees in 2007. And this year, they went over capacity, supposedly, as according to Spike TV's all-access Comic-Con coverage, the attendance reached 127,000 with at least 3,000 members of the press. So that's amazing. That's great for them. It's a huge event, and honestly, it should be called Entertainment Con instead of Comic Con because everything that's probably coming out within the next year that's huge, as in blockbuster films or TV shows, has made their way to Comic Con. That we're there this year. And that just gave us a ton of stuff that we had to cover. So bear with us as we go into an extra extended version of News with Nico which I'd like to t- call News with Nico Comic-Con Headlines Edition. Guest starring me, a.k.a. Dan. <laughs> yeah, and the following news is that news that came out of San Diego Comic-Con 2012 and was provided by 
luckily for us, Spike TV's all-access Comic-Con coverage, G-Force Comic-Con coverage, online streaming videos from Zach Levi's Nerd HQ, and various other entertainment news websites. Yes. Basically, if they covered Comic-Con, we checked it out and tried to get the information. And also, just so you know, all of these articles are available on our Facebook page. So for sure, check it out there. All the information you need is there. And for this, we're just giving you headlines, and we're just going to go right into it. And basically how this is going to work is I'm going to read a headline, and then Nico's going to read a headline. There's just a ton of stuff here that Nico and I thought would make it easier on each other if we kind of shared the burden of having to get all this news out to you. So let's just take it away with the first news story that Chuck himself, otherwise known as Zachary Levi, has announced that multiple times jury comic-con that he's going to play fandral in thor 2 replacing once upon a time's josh dallas due to his duties with playing prince charming on the popular abc tv series dreamworks has announced that kung fu panda 3 has gone into production recently there were reports that tim burton was going to remake beetlejuice with johnny depp in the leading role and i think we reported something like that on our facebook page earlier on a previous episode of ATA. But I guess in reality, work is being done on a script for Beetlejuice 2, in which Michael Keaton will reprise his role, and Johnny Depp will star alongside him. Another rewrite is being done on the Ghostbusters 3 script, which still may or may not involve Bill Murray, but Dan Aykroyd says they are not releasing any further news until they have something that really feels right. Also, it's rumored that the original Ghostbusters could be joined by a new team that could feature actors like Ty Burrell, also known as Phil Dunphy on Modern Family, and Craig Robinson, who plays the warehouse guy, Daryl, on The Office. And again, as someone who kind of knows about this kind of stuff with going to film school, and based on what they said on Spike TV, the number of rewrites needed to get these movies off the ground, and the need for actors to reprise previous roles years later, may put both Ghostbusters 3 and Beetlejuice in what writers like to call development hell, which means these movies might not be made for years or at all. And basically with Bill Murray giving Dan Aykroyd the runaround, who knows what could happen with all this stuff. Yeah. After the tremendous success of the Avengers movie, DC Comics is gung-ho about making a Justice League movie, but they can't seem to get anyone else behind it since Christopher Nolan turned down the offer of producing or even being involved with this film. Also, it seems that Christian Bale and Henry Cavill, the actors currently playing Batman and Superman, are not going to be involved either since it's rumored that Warner Brothers wants Channing Tatum to play Superman Something Dan and I both don't want to happen because we're both... He's good at some things, but we're kind of getting sick of him. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing with this, I just I think Marvel had a good thing going with the Avengers movies. Absolutely. And using the same actors to set up these movies. Yep. And DC can't get it through their thick skulls that they need to do that for the Justice League movie to work. They're not following the same formula. And I think not following it is going to make these movies not work. I couldn't agree more. So that's my two bits about it. There'll be more on our DC Nation podcast about that because Michael has some two cents to say about that. But that's how I feel, and I just got to throw that out there. All right, take it away with the next story, Nico. Sure. 
With guys like Joss Whedon and Nathan Fillon being considered as the kings of Comic-Con, Zach Levi has earned himself a place at the table as at least the prince of Comic-Con, with his nerd HQ being the hottest attraction of the weekend because he's given everyone attending the con a second chance to see their favorite celebrities without having to wait in line all night for Comic-Con's various panels. Now Zach Levi is making this possible by having fans purchase tickets in advance to attend unmoderated conversations with the cast of Psych, Chuck, and Doctor Who, as well as one-on-one panels with big names like Nathan Fillon, Stan Lee, and Joss Whedon. But it's totally worth the cash since most of the proceeds go towards Operation Smile, a charity for children. Plus, unlike the television networks, Zach Levi is on top of the innovations created by technology. As he completely avoided the issues of fans filming his Nerd HQ panels on their iPhones to post on YouTube by basically making them available online in high quality at break.com to profits on his website hits through ad revenue. Basically, I checked out all these panels, got the website, sat and watched them all. They are highly entertaining, very enjoyable. Zach Levi acts as moderator, and he just does an excellent job. He's highly entertaining to watch as a moderator. I mean, Nico and I pretty much love everything he does. So him being up there and being the moderator, it's a real fun, real up-close-and-personal event with celebrities. You feel right at home watching these trailers, and they're just great. And really what Zach Levi has going on with Dirt HQ is just an excellent thing. I mean, it's just a genius idea, and I can't wait to see it grow in the future. I mean, he's doing a great thing by basically raising money for a charity by giving fans what they want, which is an up-close-and-personal conversation with some of the biggest sci-fi, you know, fantasy or comedy shows out there and he pretty much got every big name at comic-con people would want to see to stop by to his panels and it's just i think it's just a wonderful thing he has going on there uh, did you have anything more you want to add with that nico because it's just a great idea no the only thing i can really say about it was i tried to get tickets but one of the panels that i really wanted to see was the second opportunity at the firefly thing and it sold out in less than 12 minutes it probably sold out in the first minute but i saw the tweet 12 minutes afterwards and i went to the site and it was gone and so i was really bummed but otherwise it was really cool idea and everything all of this money went to charity but really it was a great idea and you did have to pay money or admission money but everything like i said went to that charity whereas a lot of other people aren't necessarily doing that where they do autograph signings and all that money goes into their pocket everything that that Zach Levi did this weekend. He did do photo opportunities for $20 or an autograph for $20 and those kinds of things. But all of that money went to Operation Smile and his entire Comic-Con experience was supporting that one charity, which is near and dear to his heart. So he, you know, definitely doing it the right way. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's going to get him a lot of respect and a lot of big connections. I agree. He got hooked up with Matt Smith. Just simply because Matt Smith thought he was doing a great thing with the charity. Yeah. So, hey, Zach Levi and Doctor Who? (laughs) That would be awesome. (laughs) Well, throughout the whole panel, it was hilarious. They kept wanting him on different shows. Like, Nathan Phillips like, I want him on Castle. And then James Rodney is like, I want him on Psych. So we could be seeing a lot of Zach Levi on our favorite shows. Yeah, well, you know, he did book a book a show for the fall, so his schedule is pretty well booked. But, unfortunately. Well, I, I think well, it's great because he's work. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good show. It'll be funny. I'm hoping it's in the same vein as Suburbia, where it's just a lot of fun to watch every week. And Alan Tudyk on that show is amazing. So, <laughs> well, I think it's going to be on Fox lined up with New Girl. 
So it might be more in the vein of New Girl, but New okay. Girl's a solid show too. So yeah, it is. It's uh, funny. I'm a big fan of that show as well. But speaking of Nerd HQ, Joss Whedon revealed that he is working on writing the songs of Doctor Horrible Two, the sequel. <laughs> And so that is awesome because I've been waiting yeah. for that since the first one came out, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Yep, it is. I love the first one, too. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. Check out Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. It's a lot of fun. And in other Joss Whedon news, he says that he has not yet come to a decision on his involvement with Avengers 2. Because that's pretty understandable. Yeah. It was such a big project. It was such a big deal. Joss is taking it easy and really putting some thought on the decision. Which I appreciate. I think that's a good idea. It's, it's fair for the creativity behind the films. Yep. Nickelodeon's new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated series is going to feature the voices of big screen actors like American Pie's Jason Biggs as Leonardo and The Lord of the Rings' Sean Astin as Raphael. Also joining the voice cast are, as Donatello is Rob Paulson, who originally voiced Raphael on the original animated series, and Michelangelo is going to be voiced by Greg Sipes, the voice right. of Beast Boy on the Teen Titans animated series. Yeah, Nickelodeon's not holding back when it comes to this new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show. No, that is a great cast. Yes. So I think this is going to be a great program that may be on the same quality level as Legend of Korra and Avatar The Last Airbender. At least I can only hope. We can hope. The animation looks a little funky, but we'll see. And as for info about the plotline of the new Ninja Turtles animated series, it's going to retain all the sci-fi elements from the original series that revolved around Dimension X. So we're probably going to see Krang and maybe the Rockman and some of that stuff. <laughs> nice. But there's also going to be a few changes, such as Master Splinter being a much younger, more capable Ninja Master. And April O'Neil is going to be aged down to 16, making me question if there's going to be some sort of turtle romance. So is she going to be a 16-year-old blogger to keep the idea of her being a reporter uh, alive? I mean, that would that would be one way to do it, or a YouTube sensation or something like that where she's still in, in that same vein. Maybe she writes for her school newspaper. <laughs> Chloe Sullivan, April O'Neil. Yes. Not, not bad. We'll see what happens. Uh, I mentioned the turtle romance idea to Michael, and he was quite disturbed. So maybe Casey Jones will be coming our way. Nice. Guillermo del Toro is considering a Hellboy 3, which will be about Hellboy discovering his destiny of why he was sent to Earth. Sounds cool. I'm excited for that. I want to see that. Del Toro, he also gave Comic-Con viewers a first look at his next movie, Pacific Rim, which is going to be about giant mecha robots that you would find in Japanese anime, you know, like Gundam Wing and things like that, fighting off an alien invasion. And it was also revealed that the movie will contain set pieces that audiences have never seen before. I don't know how that works. And the cast is going to include Charlie Day and two of the stars on FX's Sons of Anarchy, Charlie Hunnam, who plays the lead character, Jax, and Hellboy himself, Rod Perlman. So this will be interesting. I'm not sure if Mecha Robots translate to the big screen very well. We're going to see how that has to turn out. But Del Toro has done some excellent movies like Pan's Labyrinth, got the first two Hellboys. So yep. if anyone can pull this off, it's probably him. So we'll see where this goes. Warner Brothers revealed that they are going to do another remake of Godzilla for whatever that's worth. Yes. <laughs> Maybe, hopefully, Matthew Broderick won't be involved this time. I nothing against Matthew Broderick, but Ferris Bueller taking on Godzilla is kind of weird. Yes. Then uh, Zack Snyder revealed footage from his upcoming film, Man of Steel, that 
honestly made fans believe a man could fly more so than ever before. And it was even said that some fans started crying because the trailer was so amazing. I got to see a bootleg version online that was briefly posted on YouTube and pretty much taken away immediately after I watched it. But I will say that the score to the movie that was shown in the trailer was unbelievable. I mean, it really tugged at the heartstrings for me. And it was kind of blurry, but some of the images of Superman, especially the flying, was just breathtaking. I mean, this is what we've been waiting for, folks, with 10 years of Smallville. So... Hopefully, when we see the trailer in its entirety, when Dark Knight Rises comes out, it's going to be as amazing as everyone says it is. I'm very anxious to see it. So we'll see what happens. But so far, it's been so good. And people, their doubts about this movie are kind of going away. So we'll just see what happens. And along with that look at Man of Steel, people at the Warner Brothers Legendary Pictures panel got to see more footage of The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey coming to theaters this Christmas. And I quickly forgot to mention that there will be more discussion on the new Superman film and the Man of Steel trailer in our DC Nation podcast episode dedicated to Comic-Con. So keep an eye out for that. And also at the Sony Pictures panel for their upcoming films, fans were treated to an eight-minute sizzle reel of Total Recall coming to theaters on August 3rd. Yeah, the panel also gave audiences the lowdown on an upcoming film called Loopers, where Bruce Willis is sent back in time to save the life of his younger self, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And I don't know if you saw the trailer for this movie, Nico. I have. It sounds like an interesting idea. It is really cool. I think it's going to be a great fall picture, and I think... People are going to really get excited about this. And it looks like it's it's both a psychological thriller and an action thriller. So I think that's going to be cool. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And, of course, it's got sci-fi, so I'm all, I'm all about it. Oh, yeah. Well, the last film revealed by Sony Pictures was another sci-fi movie from the director of District 9, Neil Blomkamp. And it's going to be starring Matt Damon, and it's called Asylum. And apparently the premise of the film is that in the future, the wealthy population of Earth leave the overpopulated and polluted planet to live in a space station called Asylum. And I guess Matt Damon plays one of the poor people on Earth, and he just can't catch a break. And he gets his act together, and he ends up getting radiation poisoning, meaning that he only has a few days to live unless he can get to Asylum, where medicine is much more advanced. And I guess Jodie Foster plays the villain in this movie, or at least the person in charge of Asylum, and she's got a stop him so that could be interesting as well yeah sounds interesting also a trailer was shown in imax for the upcoming james bond movie skyfall that introduced audiences to the new q played by ben wishaw who boasts to daniel craig's bond about being able to kill more people sitting at home with his computer in his pajamas than bond can on missions around the globe in a year this actually this skyfall looks like it's going to be really interesting and i got to i got to talk with a few people behind the the i didn't get to record it but i got to talk with a few people behind the scenes of this movie at their booth they had the bond car from i forget which movie it was but it was the one where they're up at the ice uh hotel die another day yes Yes. And it's not actually the Bond car that was able to go invisible, which was really cool. It was the villain car, the green okay. Jaguar that you got to – I think it was a Jag. It might have been a BMW. But the, that's it was beyond, a Jaguar. You're yeah. Right. You're right. And it was, it was all decked out with all the features that it had. So they had the, the missiles on it, the, the battering ram in the front. 
extended. It was really cool. And unfortunately, there were 30 people in line when I was standing there talking to these people. Otherwise, I would have gotten a picture of myself with the car. But otherwise, it was a pretty cool little uh, thing. And I got to talk to a couple of the uh, people behind the scenes of that movie and the promotion of the movie. So that was cool. Well, I'm a huge Bod fan. And this idea of Bod being faced with the idea of almost being obsolete is very interesting. Yes. I can't wait to see where it goes. I mean, this this is a big Bond movie, and I really think it's going to make up for the disappointment of Quantum of Solace. And yes. apparently the trailer also features an action-packed brawl on top of a train featuring our first glimpses of Naomi Harris as the new Bond girl. However, the part of the trailer that really has fans talking is the scene where Ralph Fiennes' character, Gareth Malroy, berates M, played by, of course, Dame Judi Dench, because her office has lost a flash drive that contains the identity of every British agent embedded in terrorist operations. Sort of that knock list, if you will, from Mission Impossible. Got that kind of fits more to my theory that M may possibly be killed or something happens to her within this film. Okay. Well... The big granddaddy of things that I'm sure all of you are anxious to hear about was the Marvel Studios panel, where they basically announced their upcoming slate of films following the big epic hit known as The Avengers. And basically, Shane Black's Iron Man 3 is going to be due out May 3rd, 2013. Also planned to come out in November is Thor 2, The Dark World. Then in 2014, they're coming out with Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier. And also Marvel is planning to come out with Guardians of the Galaxy and Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. And I'm not necessarily sure on the date of those two movies, but I know for sure. Iron Man is May 3rd, 2013. Thor is going to be November of 2013. And Captain America is coming out in 2014. So all these movies I'm really looking forward to see. Very excited about that. And also the actors who played Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America of course, are reprising their roles. Which is the big advantage over DC right yes, now. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Very much it was so. Also, yeah, and it was also confirmed at the panel Ben Kingsley will be playing Mandarin in Iron Man 3. And an interesting thing about the Mandarin, really quick, is the film might not be released in China because the character is the Mandarin. Okay. Which I thought was interesting. So there's a big debate about that right now. And other Iron Man 3 news includes that there may be a possibility of Gwyneth Paltrow suiting up in Iron Man armor like her character Pepper Potts did recently in the comics, taking on the identity of Rescue. And my boy John Favreau, he will be reprising his character, Happy Hogan, will, and it will be a much bigger part in the next movie because of his decision to take a step back and not direct this one and just act as the film's executive producer and an actor in the film. In case you were kind of worried he was going to come back, like someone named Terrence Howard, right? <laughs> Don Sheetal will be reprising his role as Rhodey slash War Machine, which I'm excited about that. It'd be good to have him back. He's a lot of fun in Iron Man too. Yeah, and the film is going to stay away from plot lines dealing with Tony Stark's drinking issues and focus more on his war against terror. Which I think is a good move, because I think people like the first Iron Man movie more because it focused more on that than the drinking problem. I just think it worked better. Okay. But that's my opinion. Tony Stark will also be using the extremist armor in the film, which means he will be able to control his armor with his mind, get suit up at will. Also, if you still don't get what that means, just imagine that Tony Stark implanted the bracelets he used to call upon his armor in the Avengers movie inside his body. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that. We'll see how it looks. There's also a cool poster that shows a kind of a early concept art of 
how the armor is going to work in the movie. Yeah, and I got to see the the panel, or not the panel. I got to see the uh, display on the on the floor at Comic Con where they had all of the suits from all of the movies, and that was really cool. You got to get up close to it. Although I got yelled at by a professional photographer because he thought he owned the Comic Con and was you know, but I was I was up there looking at him. And I guess I stepped into his shot or something, and he, like, berated me, and then he got thrown out. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, it wasn't just because of me. It was because one of the other guys that was up there on the stage with me trying to look at it kept getting yelled at by this photographer. So he just went to the one of the guys running the Marvel booth and said, hey, we're real fans here watching this. Why is this guy telling us where we can and can't go? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. No, that's that's okay. And he's like, nope, your time's up, bud. Now, no, okay. I had this. I was allowed to shoot for an hour. Not if you're going to interfere with other fans having their experience. I'm sorry, you're done. And kicked him out. And he went on a tirade. But the rest of everybody around the place, and myself included, cheered with him getting kicked off. So that was that was kind of our little fun thing. Way to go, <laughs> Marvel! Way to stand up for your fans. Yeah, Marvel stood nice up job. for the fans. It was awesome. I give them props for that. I really do. And. Basically, I mean, we're just going to wrap it up saying there was really a ton of comic book news that came out of Comic-Con as well. But obviously for that information, just because it was just too much to put in this podcast, I suggest that you check out our Comic-Con themed episode of the DC Nation podcast, which will feature a little bit of Marvel Comics themed news. I don't know how much we're going to be able to fit in to the episode because, again, this episode was jam-packed. We're going to have a second Comic-Con episode of ATA following this one. And then we're going to have the DC Nation podcast. So there's a lot of news and only so much time to stuff it into. So that's how we're going to do things. We'll hopefully it'll all work out. Also, I'd just like to take the time to thank our new friend of the podcast, Kyle Franchi, for the help he gave us with tracking down Comic-Con news headlines. Uh, he was kind of helping me keep things in order with the podcast and volunteered his help. And Kyle, we really appreciate it, man. So thanks a lot. And with that, we're going to move into talking about the various panels that occurred at Comic-Con that centered on our favorite shows. And so we're just going to go through one by one. You guys probably by now know our regular slate of TV shows. So we're just going to do it like our normal ATA episode. But instead of talking about a show episode, we're going to be talking about a panel. So Nico, why don't we kick things off with our community panel The community panel took place in Ballroom 20, which is not the largest ballroom, but it's one of the big ones at Comic-Con, and featured the actors Joel McHale, Allison Brie, Danny Pudi, Yvette Nicole Brown, and Jillian Jacobs, as well as the new showrunners David Garishio and Moses Ports. I'm sorry if I screwed your name up, but uh, it... It's weird looking. Yes. <laughs> and they also were joined by returning executive producers Russ Krasnoff and returning writers Megan Gans and Andy Bobroy. So first off, a lot of people were nervous about the community panel because of the fan outcry over the show's creator, Dan Harmon, being fired. But the general vibe in Ballroom 20, uh, based on a friend of mine who was actually in the room, he said that it seemed to be pretty positive. Even though audience questions seem to be kept to a minimum, and they were most likely screened, they th- he thinks. And a, a couple of news sources said that as well. However, right off the bat, the new showrunners were quick to mention that they care about keeping community that weird, wonderful gem that it's always been, and that it's not going to change. And that really seemed to come from the fact that they said they were fans of the show yes. before they got involved, which is a good thing to hear. 
Also, the new showrunners stress that the fans have an influence on community more so than any other show. And that often in the writer's room, they're talking about what we as the audience are going to like. Yeah. Then since they don't really – you're not allowed to show the footage that they show for, because they want people at Comic-Con to have exclusives. And that's going to be the case for all these panels we talk about. Yeah. We couldn't find the footage from season four. And they also didn't show much in the panel because shooting is beginning in August. And so they did do some clips of season three, a gag reel, which was kind of funny. It had Annie doing a rap, which was kind of fun and a fan tribute video was shown instead of some season four stuff that they haven't shot yet so it was really actually a pretty cool little combination of videos yeah but there were plenty season four news given out at the panel they couldn't show it visually but they could say a lot of what what was going on which i feel like these showrunners needed to do just to make people feel better about them taking over the show and where they're going to go with things and really, they said this season is going to be about some new relationships, along with Jeff's connection to the Dean, taking some sort of step forward. Also, the spark between Troy and Britta might turn into some fire. So we'll see where that goes. That could get really funny. Yeah. And the show is also going to visit places it's wanted to go for years, including Pierce's Mansion. Awesome. Yes. And also, there are plans for the whole show to go to an Inspector Spacetime convention which is awesome. That Genius is idea. That's just a shout out to all the fans that come to Comic-Con for this show. Yeah. And there's going to be some animation also talked about in possibly as early as the season premiere, which would be awesome to see too. Absolutely. Always fun. And there's rumors that Karen um, Gillian might also show up in the inspector space time episode, which awesome. <laughs> awesome. Keep our fingers crossed on that one. Also, um, it was announced that the, uh, German foosball players will be back this season. And we are finally going to meet Jeff's dad, which I'm sure is going to be a big episode. And whoever they're going to get to play him is going to be huge. Joel McHale kind of joked during the panel that his dad is going to be played by Pluto Nash himself, a.k.a. Eddie Murphy. And I (laughs) doubt that's going to happen, but it's a funny joke. Yeah. (laughs) I think they did actually announce somewhere who was going to play the dad, but I don't... Maybe not. Maybe they just announced that the dad was going to show up. Okay. So, but yeah, that that was a funny, you know, it was funny that the whole place went crazy when he said Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yeah. If any of you listeners do know the answer, though, feel free to uh, send it to us. Yeah. In a variety of ways that we have available. Yeah. A discussion was also brought up on whether the characters might actually finish community college at the end of this season, season four. And the showrunners said that some characters might finish their time at Greendale before other characters. And the characters of the study group have grown so close that it means that their relationship will be able to exist outside the college setting and it would survive if one or two of the characters were to graduate. Do you have any guesses on who may graduate? I would think Annie would be one of them. And then possibly Jeff, because he seemed to be trying to get, he seems to be the most driven to get to that next level so he can go back to his former life. But I do think that those two are the most likely because Britta seems to be, you know, just she finally declared a major. So that's good. And that was a huge part of the panel, too. They were talking about or not a huge part, but just a funny thing at the beginning. They were like how important it was that she had a major. And then uh, Danny Pudi did a little rap about having a major. And (laughs) it was pretty funny. But, yeah, I think everybody else seems to be kind of just listless in their 
pursuits and yeah. Pierce has been there for 10 years already. Yeah. So I he's doubt gonna he's going to graduate. <laughs> and uh, finally, just the panel was really wrapped up in a nice way um, with the cast just thanking their fans for all of their support, which they credited, credited for giving them a fourth season. Then that is totally true. So it's, it's glad that they appreciate that and are still continuing to get the fans to back the show up. That's pretty awesome. So with that, we're just going to kind of wrap up the section with Nico and I just kind of giving our thoughts on what we're most excited about for the upcoming season of Community and what we're most concerned about with the upcoming season. So Nico, why don't you go first and I'll round things out. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing that Inspector Spacetime Convention episode. Yes. I, I really think that it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think that they're going to have a, a real shout out to Comic-Con and the people that come to these different cons. Because Comic-Con's not the only one that these people go to. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of different ones. And, and ma- most major cities have a Comic-Con or have a comic convention. And I think it's going to be great to see this sort of come to life on community and have that community spin to it. Definitely, definitely. And I think it's a big chance for them to thank the Comic-Con fans because they have been so supportive of community. And Comic-Con has done wonders for the show. So it would be a nice way to say thank you. Absolutely. What is your concerns? My concern is what the 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 showrunners tried to alleviate is that it's going to change and it necessarily will have to change because Dan Harmon was a very big driving force behind every single episode that has aired so far of community. And that's why we love this show so much was because he did have that, his finger on the pulse of the show and on what the fans liked. And I know these guys coming in are going to do the best they can to keep everything the same, but necessarily they are different people than Dan Harmon is. So things will change and we will see an evolution of the show. And I I don't I'm not nervous about it. I think that it it can be good and will be good, but there's always that nagging doubt in my back of my head that something could change that I don't like and I could blame it on that. And that scares me a little bit, but I'm not as concerned as maybe other people are. Yeah, I agree with you on that on the concern. I'm kind of in the same boat of just like these showrunners what they're saying seems positive. They seem to get the show a little bit better than I thought they were going to. Because I thought NBC handpicked these people to do what they want. And that may still be the case. But I'm feeling a little bit better based on what they're saying. But again, normally when big changes like this happen with the show, it's kind of the kiss of death. So I hope that doesn't happen to the community. But as far as the ideas are concerned, I like this idea of going to some new locations that we've never been to before. They're getting outside of the college for a couple episodes. Just because I think they got kind of they get kind of stuck in a rut when you stay stay in the same place. So going to Pierce's mansion, they think will be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. They're looking for to the space uh, inspector space time convention, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping that they still maintain that plot line uh, where the city wants to try to uh, destroy uh, the the college, and Chegg was going to team up with the city to bring down Greendale. I hope that plot line's still in there, uh, like they showed in the season finale, because that kind of interests me. I'm interested to see where that goes. Yeah, I agree. Nice. So with that, we're going to move on to talking about the Big Bang Theory, which their panel, unfortunately, did not give away all that much information. All started with the Big Bang. And... The Big Bang Theory panel took place in Hall H, which is the largest one at Comic-Con, and featured the actors Mayim Bellick, Jim Parsons via satellite from New York, Kelly Kuko, Kyoko, 
I can never Whatever. say her name, yeah. but you know who she is. Kunin Nayar, Simon Helberg, and Melissa Rausch, as well as executive producers Chuck Lore, Bill Brady, and Stephen Molero. They were also supposed to be joined by Johnny Galecki, but his flight got delayed and he missed the panel. Yeah, and really not a lot came out of this panel for Big Bang Theory because really from what I watched and from what they described on Entertainment Weekly's website, it was pretty much filled with kids asking a ton of stupid questions, which at the end seemed to really get on the panelists' nerves as Chuck Lorre kind of made this joke that they think about screening the questions. And Simon Helberg made an offhanded comment that these kids are young to be so drunk. So... (laughs) That just tells you where this panel went. It's just completely off the wall, even maybe more off the wall than Sheldon. Yeah, and really jumping in on that comment real quick, the panels for the Big Bang Theory, people go into them sometimes with the wrong idea of what the Big Bang Theory actors are not their characters. So they're not always they they know a lot about what's going on at Comic-Con. They know a lot about the other shows. But to expect any of these people, uh, you know, especially Jim Parsons, who is is an excellent and he plays Sheldon so well. Yeah. But to expect him to know every little detail about Doctor Who or every little detail about any of the things that they do talk about on the show and are fans of on the show. And when they don't know something and they have to ask, I don't know what that is, to get booed by the fans yeah. is is ridiculous. Now, I, I didn't see that happening so much this year as it did the previous year because right. there were mostly kids asking questions, as you said. So the questions were not so technical. But like last year, they asked something about what, what the TARDIS something, was, right? Yeah, something about the TARDIS. And uh, Kaylee had to ask what the TARDIS was, and the place erupted in booze like she had just defiled Comic-Con. And, and really, that was surprising to me because if you love a show so much, you have to realize that, yes, the characters might know that, but that's because there's nerdy and geeky guys well, like me behind the scenes writing, and the actors are good-looking you know, yes. people who are actors. Yes. They don't necessarily know it. They're not all Nathan Fillon, who is a geek himself. You know. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, I was just going to say this, is I don't even think her character will know what the TARDIS is. No, I don't think that that has been. Now, if she had asked something maybe Star Wars or Star Trek, then you know yeah. her character should have known because – those are two things that, you know, because she always says when there's someone new in the thing and some new girl and they're like, don't you make sure you know the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek. They get really ticked off if you don't yeah. know, you know, and that's yeah. funny because it is true about people like us. But at the same time, it's funny that, you know, she's grown. The character has grown that way. And yeah, I mean, like I said, yeah. they're actors. I agree. That's the thing and really i mean with this panel it's going to be difficult to get these actors to keep coming to comic-con if they're going to be asked about things that's kind of going to waste their time yeah it is unfortunate that it was mostly kids or 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 stupid questions whether they were from kids or from other people but you get that at every con i i actually was sitting in a panel and a guy was just talking and talking and talking and people started yelling ask a question and then when he kept going they just started booing him until he shut up or asked a question so like there is some self-policing in that but you know you can't boo a little kid if you do you have no heart and yes that maybe they should screen some of the questions but nobody likes it when they screen the questions they want 
Yeah. Honest fans asking honest questions. And the panel will say, we can't answer that. I heard that at a couple of the panels. I can't I can't talk about that, especially Walking Dead. Any of the people yeah. from the Walking Dead series, they said, I, uh, the woman, I'm forgetting her name, but she said, I was given an 18-page packet describing everything I'm not allowed to talk about. And, and some of the other people were like, yeah, I wish I had been given that packet. <laughs> I'd know what I could actually talk about. And she's like, I can say this. I cannot say any more than where's Carl. You know, yeah. and if you watch Walking Dead, you know that reference. But if you don't, then, you know, it's like, OK, right. whatever. But, you know, sometimes these people will say, I can't answer that question. But, you know, thanks for asking it. And, yes, we will. We will talk about things like that this season or we may get into that this season or next. You know, and so it they they will even if they don't like the the question they will answer to an extent that they can. And so I, I, I like the idea that they don't screen questions. Yeah. But then you also have the chance that you have stupid questions. And, you know, in, in school, there may never be a stupid question. But at Comic-Con, there definitely is stupid questions. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, to move things on a bit, because we're going to get distracted talking about crazy Comic-Con panels and how people act. And we can definitely get more into your experience in the next episode, Nico. Uh, Absolutely. Well, we're going to dive into the two pieces of Big Bang Theory news that came on the panel. Basically, Raj is supposed to get a love interest, but Lori said don't get excited until you see it. So I'm assuming it's going to be like the Surrey thing or the blind girl or a situation like that. So that's what I'm going with. Yeah, and also when asked if Penny is going to accept Leonard's engagement, the producer said that something will happen to make things awkward between them again, which kind of made my heart sink a little bit. But at the same time, it needs to happen to progress the show and keep it going. Because, like, once they get together, it's kind of over. Yeah, it, it's finish. it's the the moonlighting. Well, yeah. For, for Big Bang. Yeah, there's a – the show we'll talk about next. Slyke <laughs> said that, that, that a little rig is what's keeping them on the air. So I'm sure right. Big Bang Theory feels the same way. Right. So, real quick, what are you most excited about this season for Big Bag? What are you concerned about? I'm concerned about the the love stories and taking a twist and maybe breaking up the group in its current configuration. Yeah. I'm most interested to see the Sheldon and Amy story arc and where that continues to progress and how his his breakthroughs with Amy also become breakthroughs with his dealing with the guys. And yeah. I think that is going to be cool, but I don't want it to happen so much that he stops being Sheldon. And so that's another concern, but I'm, I'm really excited. They seem to have that character mastered pretty well. And, and Parsons is so good at playing it that we know if something goes too far, he may raise the issue. I don't think it's time for this. Right. I think he'll do that great. But uh, I am just interested to see where the whole handhold went at the end of the season. That yes. was a big moment from Sheldon. That's Huge. what I'm excited about, where where that's going to go. My concern is this awkward thing between Penny and uh, Leonard. I just hope it's not so. it doesn't make things so awkward that we're alienated from the show. Agreed. Or we get annoyed with their relationship. Because it's been pretty well done so far. I agree. And I just don't want it to get tiresome like some of the other romances that have been the center of other TV shows we've watched. <laughs> so we don't we don't want to get annoyed with either one of these characters because I like the actors and I like both characters. So hopefully we'll stay away from that. 
So with that, we're going to move on to the other wacky, fun nerd show, where I think the actors on this show are actually as nerdy as they claim to be on the show. Yes. And that's uh, Psych. Psych you out in the end. Yeah, and the Psych panel took place in Ballroom 20 and featured actors James Roday, Dooley Hill, Corbin Burnson, Kristen Nelson, Maggie Lawson, and Tim Omunson, who doubled as the moderator as well as the show's executive producer, Steve Franks, Kelly Kuchak, and Chris Hens. And it really was great that Lassiter was moderating. That was awesome. Yeah, and he was just completely hilarious doing the moderation stuff, too. He's just got a great relationship with all the actors. That it really shined through with this panel. Also, very quickly, some of this information is also going to come from the psych panel that occurred over at Zach Levi's Nerd HQ. So you can also check that out online. And the other panels that we talk about, you can check them out actually on our YouTube page under the playlist uh, Comic Con 2012. So definitely all this stuff is accessible to you through our ACA resources. And the Nerd HQ panel actually involved James Roday, Dulé Hill, and then the writers. Steve Franks, Kelly Kutach, and uh, Chris Hines. So starting off the news, Psych is planned to have a two-hour musical episode that is now halfway written, according to Steve Franks, who sang part of one of the songs during the Comic-Con panel. Yes, and apparently Henry Spencer survives the gunshot he took in the chest at the end of the season because Corbin Bernson showed up at the panel, and apparently a resolution to the situation has been described as a brutal scene was shown during the footage for season seven that was shown during the panel. We were unable to watch it, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, but this was described by many of the news feeds that Dan sifted through and brought out the best parts of. Yeah. I don't know what happens, but the scene was very brutal and shocking to most of the audience. And at the Nerd HQ panel, this scene was kind of brought up again. And Steve Franks warned us that the season is going to start with a more teary-eyed, somber scene than we are really used to for this show. And I'm probably that's going to be John discovering that his dad is shot. Yeah. Almost dying or may have died. And then he may come back. I don't know how it's all going to work, but it's got to be emotional regardless. Yeah. It was also revealed at the Nerd HQ panel that there's going to be a Circus Delay episode that they don't call it Cirque du Soleil in the episode due to legal issues. But yeah, that's still kind of cool. Yeah, I think it's funny. It's good. That's going to be a lot of fun. And adding on to that, there is going to be a Buzz McNabb-centered episode, which should be interesting, and a whole lot of Woody throughout the entire season. Which is good. Yeah, we love that character. He's a medical examiner, and he's just, he's going to be a lot of fun this season. So can't wait for that. And back to the official Comic-Con panel, the 100th episode of Psych is going to have a clue theme, and there's going to be a Bigfoot-themed episode shot like the Blair Witch Project. Those are two, two cool ideas. Yes. A clue as in, as, is, as in the board game, everyone. Just yes. To make to clarify that. Or the movie. Or the movie. Yes, there is a movie as well. Because I do, I, uh, in the spoilers for TVLine.com, I, I, I saw a thing where they said that some of the actors from the movie Clue may also be in the episode That'd that's be awesome. based on Clue. So that would be really cool. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, Tim Curry was in the movie, and he already appeared on Psych and the American Duo episodes. Right. But that doesn't mean he can't come back. I think they were actually hinting that he may be returning. That's cool. Because they did the same kind of thing with um, Ray Wise, who was the priest, and then he ended up in the Twin Peaks episode. (laughs) Yeah. Because he was on Twin Peaks. Right. 
it, anything's possible with Psych, which is fun. I like that. And I want to see Gus do his variation of the Blair Witch Project scene where the girl's like really close to the camera freaking out. I think that could be fun. Yes. <laughs> and in other news with Psych, Arrested Developments, the very funny guy, Jeffrey Tambor, is set to appear as Jules's stepdad. But there's no word about if Shatner is going to come back this season. I hope he does, but we'll see. Steve Frank says they are going to hold off on Sean giving Jules a certain ring that was once inside of his Game Boy because he feels like that's what's causing USA to keep them on the air. After years of anticipation, especially by me, Gus is finally going to get a girlfriend played by Parminder Nagra. I hope that's how to pronounce it. Who apparently has a secret that puts Sean in a very awkward position with Gus. So we'll see what that is. And if you don't know who Parminder is, she was most recently in Alcatraz. And before that, she was on ER. Oh, is that the the doctor? The doctor from Alcatraz. That was in the coma, right? Yep. Okay. This is going to be a different role for her. Yes, it's. It, I think it's going to be pretty awesome. All and right. finally, the most shocking part of the panel was an image shown during the footage from season seven of our fun-loving, carefree Sean Spencer pointing a gun at the man who shot his father, which means this season may have Sean dealing with mature emotions he's never experienced before. So with that, what are you most excited and concerned about, Nico? You know, I'm really excited to see Gus and Gus's, yes. especially with this new girlfriend or love interest. And I think that we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm really excited to see that 100th episode, the Clue episode, and the all-singing two-hour musical episode, which I don't know if they said it was going to be shot in October or air in October. I think it's going to be shot in October, so it'll probably be a spring episode. But still, it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yes, most definitely. And for concern, I'm concerned about how they're going to deal with Sean getting more mature or if he's going to get more mature and how that could change the character. Although they kind of hinted that he's not going to change. Even though he may deal with some more stuff, he's still going to be the fun-loving Sean that we love. Yeah, that's really what I'm concerned is Sean's character getting lost in all the drama yes. that's going on and, and him seeking revenge and stuff like that, holding the gun. Again, there wasn't any dialogue in that scene, so who knows what the circumstances are. We'll just see what happens with that. But I really, I just hope he's not lost in that. But with them still having all the wacky themes and Gus, you know, having the love interest, which is probably going to put Sean in a wacky position, I think we're still going to get all the fun that we're used to. I mean, this was a show that did an excellent job getting through the sixth season. One of the rare shows that have had a solid sixth season. Right. And I think them passing, that, getting through that test, because I think they're going to be fine. I think they got a good thing going on. They've got a lot of star power and a great supporting cast to back them up. So I think this is going to happen. And everyone on board with the show is excited about what they do. They're going to enjoy it. So I'm just really looking forward to like, come back. I'm excited. I'm always excited about this show. And I just think there's more fun to come our way. Cool. So with that, we're going to talk about another show that isn't going to have comedy fun coming our way, but it's going to have probably special effects fun and a lot of probably imagination put behind this scene. Again, they've put themselves in a situation where they can bring more fantasy to the show than they've ever brought before as it's entered the real world. So let's talk about the Once Upon a Time panel. Yeah, and that Once Upon a Time panel was held in 
once again, Ballroom 20, and featured actors Jennifer Morrison, Josh Dallas, Jennifer Goodwin, Lana Perilla, the beautiful Megan Ori, and the newly elevated to series regular Emily DeRaven, as well as executive producers Adam Horowitz and Edward Kitsis. Yes, and I know you're probably angry that uh, Crazy Claire has been elevated to series regular status there, Nico. It was not my the best yeah. piece of news I heard in the last month. But hopefully some of this other news will make you excited. Yeah, definitely. Such as actress Jamie Chung. She's going to be appearing on Once Upon a Time as Move On. And actress Sarah Bulger will be joining the cast of Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty is something that's got me excited for. Mulan, I'm kind of on the fence about that. I'm surprised to see such an obscure character come in. Well, the thing I like about them bringing in Mulan is the it does add some racial diversity to the yeah. show, which was becoming very white-centric. Yeah. And so to see some of the other characters, I think we will see some more variation in, in race and culture, and that'll be good for the show. Definitely. Maleficent will be returning as well because the writers told the crowd attending the panel that the character is not dead, especially since we did not see a dead body after Emma supposedly slayed her when she was in the dragon form. So that is cool. Apparently, Dr. Whale, who I had to remember who it was for a second, that's the doctor that worked at the hospital in Mm. Storybrooke. Uh, He's going to be introduced this season, and I guess he's supposed to be the whale monstro from Pinocchio. Ha, huh, that's awesome. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but okay. That's cool. Yeah. The mystery of who is Henry's father will be resolved this season, and it might be someone we've met before. Yeah, I'm interested in that one. Yeah, that's cool. I don't know how that's going to work out either. There's going to be more of the real world and the fairy tale world being together, which we, has me excited. Yes. I want to see that because I think that's the high concept television that this show can bring to us. So I'm excited about that. But the good news is... For those of you who really enjoy those scenes, there still are going to be flashbacks back to the fairy tale world before the Wicked Queen performed the curse. Which makes sense, because I think in the Mulan episode, in the Sleeping Beauty episode, their backstory needs to be told before we can really get into them being a part of the story. Yeah, and the actors and producers both agreed that the first four scripts for season two are simply brilliant, and just what the audience would want to see from this show. So. It's good to see that the actors and producers are all excited about what's to come early on. Well, I knew once the world's got to be able to bleed together, this show is just going to take off. I agree. And be rock solid. So I think it's about time they did it. I just can't wait to see where it takes off from here. It's going to be great stuff. And speaking of the world's bleeding together, the panel ended with this awesome surprise preview for season two with someone breaking into Mr. Gold's store and placing a hook on his arm where a hand should be, meaning that Captain Hook is coming to Storybrooke, which is exciting to see, and I hope that maybe Neverland and Peter Pan and all those things have a big part to the plot line of Season 2 because I really think the movie Hook is awesome. Yeah. So I'd love to see some of that stuff on TV within Once Upon a Time, and I might have to deal with it and some of it. It's going to be just pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I, I liked it, that little preview. Yeah, it's very well done. It was awesome. And I was glad Henry was in it at the beginning. And, you know, it was it was really cool that the studio actually, after Comic-Con was over, released it. Yeah. You know, officially released it so everybody who wasn't there could still get excited about it, too. And 
yeah, they did hold it off so that nobody could see it until it was shown at Comic-Con. But once it was shown and everybody had a chance to digest it, then they released it to the public. And I think that's what studios need to do, you know, maybe a week later, maybe a couple weeks later, uh, release that stuff. So, yes, it is a Comic-Con exclusive. So those people who spend the money or spend the time to go to the con get something that nobody else gets. But then after a little time, they release it for everybody. That's cool. Yeah. And for concerns and things I'm excited about with the show, what I'm excited about is the worlds coming together. Yes. I think that'll be really neat. I think that'll push the story forward. I think we're going to get some great character development out of the characters we've already experienced before. And I think Emma's going to look a lot less stupid this season, which is good because that was becoming yes, a problem. It was. So I'm excited about that. Really want to see more Red Riding Hood. I think that's a really cool character. And as you said, she is a very beautiful actress. So and you will see her because she was elevated to the series regular. Very, very nice. So I'm excited about that. I hope Snow White and Prince Charming gets better in the real world now that they know who each other are. I think it will. I think it's going to get better because we were getting really annoyed with that. Mm-hmm. What I'm nervous about is this show. I really liked it because it was fairy tales being thrown into the real world. And right. I liked that twist on it. And I liked at first that they were going with the traditional stories or making a twist on them just to make the story fit the world better. But I'm kind of getting nervous that they're more turning this into Disney characters breed brought into the real world than the actual fairy tale characters. Well, it is owned by Disney. Right, but I just feel like it's going to get off the rails. Like I think it needs to decide how far it's going to go with bringing characters from the Disney animated world into the show. Okay. But again, if they're doing move on, I like the point that you said to add diversity to the show, which I think is a very good thing. Yes. So if they're doing it for that reason, that's fine. If they're doing that because they just want to go, let's see how many Disney characters we can throw into this world. I don't, I don't know about that because I just think it's, I just think it makes them seem like higher quality writers if they're going back to the original source material. Okay. So some people may argue with me on that, may disagree, but that's what I'm feeling. So how about you with your thoughts? Where I'm most concerned is now that Snow and Charming know who they are and they know who Emma is, that we may get kind of a mushy sort of, I don't know, everybody loves everybody all of a sudden because they realize who they are to each other. And it gets a little, I don't know, maybe too soap opery and too lovey-dovey. And I think we need to see that earned. We already know that there is that that genuine love or at least respect between Snow and Emma because of, of their relationship that they have all first season developed. So I could see that. And once she realizes that she's her mom, then there's that, oh, now I understand why I was instantly drawn to you, why I trusted you, why right. you, you were all this to me. But David, she did not have that feelings towards and really you know felt bad towards david for a long time so now is it going to be instantly healed or you know that's where i think they could go off you know and and really screw things up if they did that and what i'm really looking forward to is seeing operation cobra go forward in the second season and seeing how they continue to fight the queen now that they know she is the evil queen and can openly confront her but still have to kind of keep it behind closed doors because outside of Storybrooke, people looking in would be like, these people are insane. Right. 
So I'm really interested okay. to see. And we had talked about last season what will happen and where this mag- – if magic only works in Storybrooke in the real world or if it extends beyond and whether that curse being broken, they can leave Storybrooke. And if they do, does Emma have to go and wrangle them and bring them in? Right. I think those would – either way, whether they can't leave or their magic does not – Co with them once they do leave they can leave but the magic that they have does not leave with them and they are only powerful in storybrooke i think either way they do it would be very interesting and i could see it going either way and being very very compelling so those are things i'm really looking forward to seeing how they figure out right real quick food for thought on that I think what's going to happen is I don't think everyone's going to be all a big happy family now that magic has been brought back and people have gotten their memories back. Okay. I think some people are going to be very happy yep. that they're now in the fairy tale world, kind of kind of got out of their cursed existence. Right. I think others are going to be really upset about it. Right. They liked being a human if they're non-human, or they liked being the the person they'd been for the last however many years, and they are sad to see that go. Even though they have those memories, they they have memories of someone else too. Right. And maybe some people are going to go insane from having the two lives. That. That's very possible, too. So I think that's that's where the drama is going to come from. And I think if they go that route, they'll be fine. Yeah. All right. So with that, we're going to move on to the person of interest panel, which Nico actually attended. Yep. So we're going to go through the summary and headlines, and then he can talk to us a little bit about the experience of being at the panel and maybe add something to the information I wrote down just from watching the panel on uh, CBS.com. Yeah, the Person of Interest panel was held in room 6BCF and featured actors Jim Caviezel, Michael Emerson, Taraji P. Henson, and Kevin Chapman, as well as executive producers Jonathan Nolan and Greg Playman. And just so everyone knows, Jonathan Nolan is also one of the screenwriters on The Dark Knight Rises coming mm-hmm. to theaters. So he's one of the big guys right now in terms of a writer in Hollywood. Season 2 of Person of Interest is supposedly going to start out with Finch on the Road with his kidnapper, Root, played by ATA favorite Amy Acker. Yeah, and they did say that Amy Acker would be back this season. Not necessarily elevated to a regular or anything of that nature, but she will be guest starring in many episodes, so that's awesome. Yes. And a few minutes of footage was shown that kind of suggested characters played by Lost Ken Lung will play a significant role in Reese's quest to find his friend, or as we all know him, Finch. And it was really quick flashes of video. When I was sitting there, you didn't really get much story. You saw a lot of action. You saw a lot of the characters, but you didn't get any context of what was going on, unfortunately. So you can't, I I couldn't really tell you, even having sat there and watched the entire two minutes of future video, what is going to happen this season. We saw an entire recap of last season, which was really cool. And then it, it, cut to black where it last season ended and then came back from black up to video and it went through and showed Reese getting called by the machine as we saw you know and it it said the numbers of the next target or the next person of interest and so that was like kind of his his cue on how to go about finding Finch was because of this next 
person of interest will probably lead you to the next thing you need to find to find Finch. So I, you really didn't get much context other than that. And it was kind of cool. But at the same time, they were very tight lipped in about that right. with the video and everything. And just so everyone knows that the voice that came over the phone, you said it sounded like a phone operator. Yeah, it sounded like the old phone operators when you used to dial the wrong number or something on a payphone because it was a payphone that, that they had called. And it wasn't I, – I originally said something like Microsoft speech to text, but that's not really right. It is more like the operator's voice that you used to get on a, a payphone. Okay. And even though we kind of knew this already and kind of predicted this – I think the last time we talked about person of interest, the producers indicated that Elias is incarcerated, but that does not mean he's out of the picture. So right. expect to see him back as well. Yeah, and one of the people at the panel asked if Finch could lose control over the machine. And Michael Emerson responded to this question hesitantly, but he said that we would learn that Finch put a great deal of thought into the design of the machine when he was originally building it and that he left very little room for error. So we had talked last season about possibly the machine going rogue and going against Finch and Reese. And he kind of put the kibosh on that a little bit, saying the way he designed it and the way he wrote the code really didn't leave room for that. It does its job and it does its job. It does it well and only the way it's designed to do it. And if you know anything about computer programming, computers are dumb. They are really, really dumb. They can only do what you tell it to do. So without somebody corrupting the machine, which is a possibility, they didn't they didn't rule that out. Okay. It would uh, it would never turn against them because it is not necessarily like a artificial intelligence where it does learn. So he, he kind of put the kibosh on that. And it was kind of interesting to hear them say that. But then there's always the caveat that we just can't tell you right now, you know? <laughs> right. I agree. I agree. I'm glad that the the idea that they could still corrupt it, that yeah. that's still possible. Right. Because I, I think there's a lot of potential for storytelling with something like that happening. I think that's a much further along, like a three or four, season yeah, three or four story arc. But I, I just want the door to still be open for it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The other last thing that basically came out of the panel, and yeah, they were very tight-lipped, that the season premiere of Person of Interest is going to come out on September 27th. So that's pretty much the last thing we do is the premiere date. Everything else was very tight-lipped. And basically, God, Taraj P. Hempstead kind of made a joke out of this, saying that the producers have to be drunk to get stuff out of them. Because obviously, since you were there, Nico, uh, that was not the case at the panel. No, they were not, <laughs> they were not giving anything away. They did talk about the idea that where the stories came from and really it was Jonathan Nolan spent a good deal of time in London and London is covered with security cameras much more so than the US and especially in the late 80s and early 90s when he was he spent years there and he talked about the idea that someone was sitting they had 10 they had 10 cops sitting there watching 10,000 screens yeah. so really there was no idea of there was no way that those men could do that job, though they might catch a flash or catch a, some action going on on one of the th screens and then be able to, to see it. But there was no way they could catch all the minor things that go on in a day-to-day -day life. And the idea as computers evolved and got better and better, or rather our, our understanding and our use of computers became more and more prevalent in this, in this society, that they used 
the idea that someone could write a computer program that could sift through that massive amount of data and could pull out the information and could things. And he, he says the reason the show seems paranoid is because the writers are paranoid that this is happening, that this yeah. is possible, that this is going on, that the NSA is spying on us. He said, you know, we're not worried that the CIA is going to shut us down, but we're also not sure that we're not saying exactly what is happening out there and it was kind of funny listening to them talk like this because you could see just from them talking that yeah this this show things happen a lot faster maybe than you know they can hack into a system in minutes or seconds whereas it might take hours you know when I cracked my own Wi-Fi system the other day, it took me over an hour not cheating, you know, because yeah. I know the code. <laughs> right. But not cheating and going through and using the actual hacker techniques, it took me over an hour to crack my own system. And uh, I was using one of the better systems out or one of the better options out there. My computer's not the fastest out there in the world, and it probably could have gone faster if I had, you know, an i7 with three gigahertz processor and a a GPU that can crack it as well and using both of those. But yeah, you know, still it took an hour and it took 12 hours before I gave up trying to crack it the old way. So, you know, it, it takes a while for, for hackers to actually get into a system. And when they blue jack every single phone, uh, that's not necessarily possible that it has, there has to be an exploit on the phone, but it makes sense in the, in this story that one of the best hackers in the world or best computer programs in the world might be able to do things a lot right. faster, you know, in Finch. So it, it, you know, they take everything that may be possible out there and they make Finch able to do it or makes Root able to do it. And so, you know, if it's possible, then it's going to be in the story. Or if it, it could be possible, they're going to put it in the story. And that's kind of cool because everything in this story is fairly well grounded in real world yeah. experience or real world possibilities and that's kind of cool to look at and so for that reason i really liked this panel because jonathan nolan really talked about where things came from and where they could go and that was cool yeah for sure and I, this is an idea that's really influenced and had a big impact on Jill, jonathan nolan since it was also part of the end of the dark night yes as well so this is something that's on his mind and really he's obviously put a lot of thought into yes so. Um, definitely for sure. Okay, one interesting thing he said at one of the Comic-Con interviews he did on the side over the weekend that he pitched the show as science fiction. Right. And, said he, and he says now he feels like a lot of their show is science fact. Yes, and that that is exactly what he was he was kind of mentioning in this. He, originally, the idea of that computer when he pitched it, he thought it was sci-fi. You know that the, right. there was thing, and the more he dives into it, the more science and uh, computer techs that work on the show as consultants and and help them to write the best episodes tell him, oh yeah, that's possible. Maybe not that fast, but that's possible. And he's like, oh my god. <laughs> Yeah. I don't want to carry a cell phone anymore. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Oh, and so that's cool. Well, real quick, for time purposes, we're going to blast through this because I really want to talk about Fringe because, you yep. know, that's our show we always get excited about. Uh, things you're excited and concerned about real quick. I'm concerned about where the Finch and Root story is going to go and how long that's going to last and whether we're going to start getting annoyed with the fact that Finch is not in the episodes working with Reese or if we're going to enjoy that. So it's sort of a, a looking forward to and concerned about 
sort of thing. But I'm really looking forward to seeing how the machine and Reese work in those first couple episodes when Finch is not there as the go-between and then how they resolve that once Finch comes back. Okay. Yeah, for sure. My thing with this is the one thing, I mean, I don't really have a lot to be concerned about this show because it's so open-ended. And really, it's at a point that it really can go anywhere. One thing I'm concerned about is they might lose our way to keep surprising us and wowing us because they did such a great job in the first season. It might be hard to top some of those moments, like the introduction of Root and Elias and things like that. Um, That's the only thing I'm uh, concerned about. What I'm excited about is... Just the evolution of these characters. I think they're really great characters. I think the relationship between Reese and Finch, they're very exciting. And I'm just intrigued to see where this goes. And I'm intrigued to see where some of the sci-fi elements of this show is going to go. Again, less less and less of this show is becoming sci-fi. It's more reality. But I'm interested to see where they're going to take the story with the machine. And how Reese is going to react to things when he finds out more and more about it. So... With that, we're going to go into talking about the other show that we always come up with crazy conspiracy and crackpot theories about Fridge with their final panel at Comic-Con, which is something that makes me really sad to say, but I'm glad they're going out the way they're going because I think it's going to get us the ending we want. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the Fringe panel was held in Hall H, the largest one. It was. They deserved it. Yeah, and it was one of the biggest panels for uh, the Comic Con, and it featured the main actors. You know, everybody you'd expect: Joshua Jackson, John Noble, Lance Reddick, Anna Torv, Jessica Nicole, as well as executive producer Joel Weinman. And it was it was a good one. Yes, sir. This was a tricky one to get into for a lot of people. First off, everyone that attended this panel though got a gray fedora to wear that looked like the one worn by the observers, which, which is I- awesome hugely jealous of and then the panel started it started with a trailer for the fifth and final season which is going to take place in 2032 right after the events of the episode last season where henrietta is a member of the fringe team in the future and she was reunited with her father who turned out to be peter so that's cool we we weren't sure they were gonna whether they were gonna jump right there or we were gonna have half of this season in the in the present and then jump to the future but they did answer that they are going to start off right at the end of that last ep- – or not the last episode, but that, that future episode. I could see an episode or two where they may jump back, though. I think we will see flashbacks. I, I agree with that. So we'll see. I mean, they said it's for sure. First episode will be 2032. We'll see where the rest of it goes because Fringe likes to jump through time, as we all know. Right. And in the trailer that is available to watch on the Fox website, which was awesome on Fox's part, a series of clips are shown where a voiceover from Peter explains that their best course of action to battle the observers is to create fringe events of their own, which I think is genius because it means we will probably get many throwbacks to some of our favorite episodes, get past enemies such as William Bell might end up becoming allies. Yeah. And Blair Brown, who plays Nina Sharp, was unable to attend the panel due to being sick, but they were able to call her on a cell phone and hold it up to the mic so everybody at Comic-Con could wish her getting to get better and to say hi and say that they missed her. And that was kind of cool. And it was disappointing she couldn't get there with it being, you know, their last final hurrah for the fans. Yeah, and especially with how much her role has evolved to being so important to the show now. Yes, 
Definitely. Joel Wyman says that he had an idea of how Fringe was going to end back in season one, but it somewhat changed as certain characters evolved, or I said became more popular than others. Again, you know, we thought that, you know, Anna Torv, Olivia started out as the center of the show, then it shifted to Peter, then everyone began to warm up to Olivia a lot more, and then the center of the show became her and Peter, and now I'm wondering if the show is actually going to shift to Henrietta somewhat being the center. We'll see. But Wyman did say that he settled on an ending about a month ago, and he shared it with the cast, the cast and crew, I should say, because he felt that the end needed to be set in stone before they began shooting season five to ensure that we will get this best possible conclusion from everyone involved with the show. Yeah, and he also mentioned something about having a Fringe book written that will tell Fringe's story through the prism of September's perception. Much like I suggested they should shoot the entire series or do the entire observer story arc again on youtube showing only in the in the order that the the observers experienced it i think this is going to be similar to that yeah I just but think, all from september's perception oh yeah i think it's easier just less money to do it this way yeah <laughs> but uh that that still could be in the cards we'll see one of the character evolutions that seemed to influence changes made to the series for the ending to be somewhat different occurred with Astrid. Guys, Jessica Nicole's relationship with John Noble transcended onto the big screen, earning Astrid her first big episode. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that, definitely. Yeah. And one of the fans asked the actors what their favorite scenes were from the entire series, and all of the actors teared up when they talked about what scenes they liked the best, except for Joshua Jackson, who tried to comfort his fellow castmates by lightening the mood with a joke. Yes, and I, that's a rewarding feeling to see the actors get so emotional about the scenes that we ourselves love. I mean, I just think that's why this show has been so great, because they are so emotionally invested in the scenes and the moments that these characters on this show have just pulled off so beautifully. And yes. Another question asked was, will Olivia and Peter get their happy ending? And Joshua Jackson answered this by saying the characters don't end when the show ends. Okay. And I, I think that kind of means we're going to do something like what happened with Chuck at the end of that show. Okay. Where it's going to just be left to us to decide how things are going to end. Right. Which makes sense. I could see that. Right. Then following a surprise video recap of all the great moments that occurred over the past four seasons of Fringe, we got the question that created the most buzz, which was, will Fringe live on in other formats? And shockingly, John Noble answered the question with the statement that if this season goes off as we think it will, I would think a film would be very possible down the track, which really set the place abuzz. Yeah. I don't know, Nico. I, I don't know if that's possible. I think, once again, with Fringe, anything is possible. Okay. I mean, we, you've, we've talked about how difficult it is to get people into, you know, a TV show movie. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about that with Chuck. And I, I don't know with Fringe. I mean, they lost a lot of people. But maybe with it being the end, they'll get those people back. Who knows? It depends on the budget. Yeah, I guess. And the writing. But, again, the writing's been great all along. And we still just beat our heads against the wall. Why aren't people watching this show? So I, I don't know if that's going to make much of a difference. And uh, one of the last questions asked in the panel is, why are there no female observers? That I thought that was a very good and interesting question. Yes. And Wyman said the answer will be apparent this year, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think it may have something to do with the observer's motivation behind the invasion. And maybe their interest in Olivia. Okay. 
I, I don't know. I think either Olivia or Henrietta is the key to everything. I want to say more so Henrietta because she is the child of people, the people of two worlds. And I think that's going to be important. Okay. That's just me. Again, with Fridge, anything is possible. All right. <laughs> and finally, Joel Wyman and the cast of Fringe thanked the fans for all their support they have given them over the years and gave one last final bow to the people of Comic-Con, which was met with a standing ovation from the crowd. Which was totally well-deserved. Absolutely. So uh, things that excited you about the new season, Nico, things you're concerned about? I am super excited to see... <laughs> fringe guys going on the offensive against the observers and going and causing those fringe events that they've been trying to stop for so long and that just seeing that future world again and everything and getting to see peter and olivia and their daughter interact and her only being a few years younger than them because of the time in amber i think that's going to be a real interesting dynamic and the thing i'm concerned about is just making sure that we get an ending that we can love you know and that we can when and i i don't i'm not that concerned because i know these guys are are brilliant and they they've every time we've been concerned over the last four years we've we've been wrongly concerned because what they do ends up being brilliant and better than anything we could have ever expected or hoped for yeah so i am concerned that maybe the final season will not be as good no more it won't be as left turny you know we won't we won't get those major twists that we weren't seeing coming and it may be more straightforward than we're used to with the fringe world and so that is my major concern is that it won't be that and then it'll be a letdown in the final season but i'm not as concerned as i might have been or i was going into the final season of chuck I think it's going to be more crazy with season five on the twists and shocking moments okay. because they only have those 13 episodes. So I, I think because it's not so spread out, it's just going to be wham, wham, wham every week because they, they don't have space to draw it out and branch it out. And in the final season, it's got to be that explosive. So okay. I think it'll be fine. I think that's going to work out again with you. I agree with you. I'm concerned about the ending as well. I, I, after them doing such great work, I don't want the end to be a letdown. That'd be disappointing for me. That'd be disappointing for them. I want them to go out on top because this is just a beautiful, beautiful show that I think years later down the road, people are going to look back on and see how amazing and innovative it was. I, I think that this is this generation's Star Trek. Yes. And I think when people look back on it, they're going to appreciate it as much as people appreciate that show now years later. So that's what I'm going with on this. But for that to happen, it's going to have to have a solid ending. So hopefully that'll all work out. And as for what I'm excited about, I am excited for Peter and Olivia's interaction with their daughter. I think that's going to be some of the best performances that we've got out of them is going to be them interacting with their daughter. Yeah. And that especially goes for Anna Torv, who keeps getting better. And I think having this aspect get it to her character will give us probably some of the best performances we've seen out of her yet. So with that, we're going to move on to a show that maybe shouldn't be going into its end. It was better last season, still a little shaky. And the yeah. things we heard about next season has me excited, but I just hope it goes the right way that it needs to go. The cards seem to be laid in order, but I don't know if it's going to happen. And again, that happened with last season. So let's talk about Supernatural. The Supernatural panel took place in the giant Hall H and featured the actors Mark Shepard, 
Jensen Ackles, Jared Padalecki, Jim Beaver, and Misha Collins, as well as new showrunner and executive producer Jeremy Carver and consulting producer Ben Elon. When asked about Dean's return from Purgatory, Jensen Ackles said he can't explain how he comes out. But Ben Edlund didn't say Dean's return will happen fairly quickly. Got what happened in there, got how he was pushed to the limits, will be a story that they track for a while. So I'm assuming this is going to be kind of similar to how he came out of hell. Okay. If you didn't see the article posted on our Facebook page and Twitter, Sam is getting a love interest this season played by Leanne Balaban. We'll just go uh, with that. that. That's what I'm going to go with. Do that. Yeah. And according to Entertainment Weekly, this new character, who we hope doesn't turn out to be a demon, is supposed to be a doctor that is described as a damaged soul who can't rebound from a tragedy in her past, at least initially. So a little bit of commonality between the two. Definitely, for sure. Throughout this panel, Misha Collins kept dodging the question about Cass coming back for season eight. But I'm assuming he'd have to because he's trapped in purgatory with Dean. Yeah. And along those same lines, Jim Beaver was also asked about Bobby's return. And his response was, it's supernatural. Anything is possible. My guess is that Bob is in purgatory that is going to help Dean and Cass get out. That's a great call, because I was thinking the same thing. It makes the most sense. That would explain why they did what they did at the end of the season. And hopefully he'll be able to ascend if it's going to be his end, the, the premiere of the show. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Jeremy Carver, the new showrunner, said that the theme of this season is Raiders of the Lost Ark, which nice. I like. That is something that they've referenced a lot on Supernatural. And he expanded upon this by saying that in seasons past, the boys have been reacting to something. But this year, they're starting on offense. And he says they're chasing something near and dear to their hearts, which is interesting. So I'm wondering if it's going to be maybe something to help Bobby ascend out of purgatory. That's a possibility. We'll see. And Betty Lutz adds on to this description, saying that they're on a chase for a power source that we've already seen tits of. And I'm wondering if this means, because I hope not, I kind of want them to move away from this, that they aren't going to be looking for something to take out the Leviathans. I certainly hope that's not where it's going, because I think we've done the Leviathans, we're done with that, and the way things ended with Dick Roman, so disappointingly, I think we need to be done with the Leviathans. I agree. Yeah. Jensen Ackles is going to direct his third episode of the series, which is supposed to be the season premiere, but that wasn't necessarily confirmed at the panel. Jim Beaver said if he did return to Supernatural, he'd like to finish out the plot line with Sheriff Rhodes. And I agree with that. I think that is something that needs to be addressed and wrapped up because they brought her back in multiple episodes after Bobby died. When asked about Sam's story for this season, Jared said that this season we get to see, quote, all the fat stripped away. Since Sam has been without his brother and a support system, the characters have grown up in front of you. And now we get to see who they want to be and we get to see who they are. A fan asked if we would ever see God on Supernatural, and Jeremy Carver responded with this statement. We pull back from the heavy mythology this season and give the brothers time to breathe, which I like. Yes. I think that's a very good thing. We've been so bogged down with that stuff. Let's get back to what season one was about, which was just going out and hunting the supernatural. I, I'm liking that. I'm excited about that. And he also adds that this season will have one overarching mythology that hopefully will carry on for many more years. So I feel like what they're doing with this season eight is kind of what they did with Smallville, which is to put something into it that's going to reboot the show and keep it firing for maybe one more season. I, I hope they're not shooting for 10 seasons. <laughs> I think that's kind of nuts. Yeah, that would be a waste. But we'll see. 
Finally, the supernatural panel ended with a gag reel that had a great scene of a certain trio, probably cast Sam and Dean, paying homage to Wayne's World. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see that. And I'm thinking that is going to be probably on the DVD for season seven, I okay. would think. So cool. with that, I'd say I'm most excited for, at least I think it's going to happen, is kind of what Jared Paladaki said with his statement that we're going to get to see who they want to be. Which means I finally think that they are going to go with Sam down that path of redemption for his actions at the end of season four. I know I've said that for two years now that they're going to go down there, but I think Jeremy Carver gets where this show is. That's where the show needs to go. That it's going to go down that path, especially okay. with him having a love interest now and stuff. I think right. we're finally going down that path. I just hope that doesn't mean Dean gets crapped on and shoved <laughs> off to the side. Because that's I what don't it sounds think that's like. I don't think it's gonna happen. Because there was a line mentioned that the only thing Dean really loves is his car, and I don't necessarily agree with that. He needs to have a happy ending too. Gosh darn it! Because he's my favorite character. So come on, please. A lot of it was I felt Sam centric, and I just hope Dean's not shoved off to the side because of the love interest and stuff. I don't want a third wheel Dean season. I guess. So I guess that's my concern. My other concern is the show just going off the rails again. Doing something weird like the Soulless Sam stuff. That's going to totally throw me off. And again, they said it's not going to get bogged down with mythology. That's the other thing I'm concerned about. But if they do what they say they're going to do, I think they'll just come out fine. Right. So what's your thoughts? Yeah, I kind of have the same concern that if they do something that really goes off the rails, which is the one thing we're always worried about with this show, is them completely changing things and going way out in left field and not just taking a turn that we didn't see, like we always say we love about Fringe, but really just going way off, you know, yeah. way off the beaten path and being like, what are you talking about? And also them not having a good, solid villain yeah. for the season. Like, if they do go back to Crowley being the overall bad guy, which I hope they he is there, but is not the only bad guy. I hope they have a good, you know, like, like it was supposed to be this season, Leviathan and Crowley, but rather it's Crowley and something else that was is so much better than the Leviathan because the Leviathan was bad. We none we didn't really like it. It's just because it ended so crappy with Dick Roman. Well, Dick Roman I didn't, was a good character, I thought. Yes, but I got sick of the whole Leviathan. Yeah, it it was not well maintained or well built upon. There were good scenes and there were good episodes with it, but there was a lot of downtime. But what I am really excited about is just seeing the guys doing their thing and going more hunting. The weekly monster because they did say it's going to be more like season one two where they are going after that monster of the week sort of idea and yes maybe there is an overarching bad guy or the big bad as we love to call it that is behind those but i think it's going to be less mythology like you you said it you know and 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 they alluded to and it's going to be more of that just you know boom this is what we're doing this week and it's not necessarily Leviathan or not necessarily Demon Spawn or whatever the case may be. So I, I, that's what I'm looking forward to. I could see Alpha Vampire mainly maybe being one of the big, big reoccurring villains. Okay, I would be okay with that because I, I do like that character. I do, and we, we mentioned it yeah. in our season finale that we did really enjoy seeing him again and that we did think that that was, you know, that they alluded to that when they said, see you next season. Yeah. So I do hope there is at least an episode at minimum oh, yeah. 
and multiple episodes would be probably pretty cool. It's just a solid actor who plays him. I think Absolutely. we can get great material from him. Absolutely. So speaking of actors that just give us great material and a writer as well, let's talk about our last panel of our Comic-Con slate, Doctor Who. <laughs> Yes, one of my favorite shows. Yes, the Doctor Who panel took place in Hall H and featured the actors Matt Smith, Karen Gillan, and Arthur Darville, as well as the show executive producer and brilliant screenwriter Stephen Moffat and Carolyn Skinner. And let's just say, just everything about this panel got me excited about the new season. Absolutely. I just have to say that. And unfortunately, I didn't get to see it. I don't know if it's available online, but just hearing about it was awesome. Basically, the panel started off with a clip of the upcoming series showing Rory's dad going on a trip, Queen Nefertiti making advancements on the Doctor, which could be hilarious. <laughs> and the really cool thing that's got me fired up is some pretty impressive-looking dinosaurs on a spaceship. Yeah, that was the talk of Comic-Con, was the dinosaurs on the spaceship for the Doctor. Dr. Dinosaur is awesome. Just cool beads. Yeah. St Stephen Moffat said he has jam-packed everything possible into this season from comedy to westerns to tragedy and stuff that he's not even going to reveal. However, he did promise more Daleks than we've ever seen in one place, and I believe that's in the premiere on awesome. August 25th. And he doesn't think that they've ever had a bigger variety of episodes in a single season than the ones they're about to show us this fall. And doesn't that have you excited? Oh, yeah. oh I'm, I'm, we are currently in the last four episodes of Donna Noble in our rewatch for this summer. And we, I am telling my mom and dad, we have to watch this faster because we only have till the end of next month and then new ones. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be graded. Those Daleks being in the first episode, that's awesome. There's not been a whole lot of the Matt Smith doctor going up against them. So right. it's going to be fun to see another showdown, especially with the pond still with them. Do you yeah, feel like they needed that with, their st with them still around? The reason I say it's in the first episode is because the title of that episode is called Daleks Asylum. So yeah, okay. <laughs> that makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah, it's an asylum filled with Daleks, yeah. Matt Smith told the audience that his sonic screwdriver was never meant to flick. It just kind of happened by accident because uh, he thought it looked cool. <laughs> he also thinks that each doctor should get to keep their sonic screwdrivers, which is something I agree with. Yes. I think, I think they should. They do have a right. A fan asked the cast what plots they would like to have on the show, and Matt Smith said Atlantis, which... Stephen Moffat then said they'd already done three versions of that, and but the hell with continuity. Maybe he'll throw it in. <laughs> Uh, I said this before earlier in the episode, but Karen um, Gillian is open for a cameo the Community Inspector Space Time convention episode, which would be awesome. That would be amazing. Yes. Someone else asked if there was anything Stephen and Caroline were unable to do, and Stephen Moffat pretty much said that if the idea is really extraordinary, they'll find a way to make it happen and get it into the show. If any writer can do that, it's him. Yep. That's all I have to say. Stephen Moffat said something about knowing the truth about the doctor's name, but he can't pass it on. <laughs> My question about that is, is that he knows something that he came up with? Or is he talking to someone involved with the show way back in the beginning that came up with the doctor's name? 
I think that it is a secret that has been since the very beginning when the Doctor character was created. And that name has been secret to maybe only the showrunners. And eventually it will be released or revealed. But he's not going to reveal it or maybe maybe it is that he came up with it because we do we do know that in the silence in the library episode where we first meet river song yeah that we when we first meet river song that she whispers his name in 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 his ear and that is how he knows that he can trust her explicitly because she had to be his one true love or his his wife for him to reveal that to her and because in his name is is the power to control him and so or at least i think that's how it works is that there's power in his name and so but i don't know exactly which one it is whether he knows the name because they invented it or if he knows it because it's been passed down through the ages it'd be cool if it's passed down i think that's that cool would thing. be really cool yeah that'd be cool and to hear that story would be pretty amazing as well stephen moffat also refused to reveal anything about amy and rory's departure from the show but as the panel went on it came out the final episode for the ponds was extremely hard to write for stephen moffat yeah and as this session went on into saying goodbye to Amy and Rory, the audience cried out in sadness, causing Karen Gillan to mention that she didn't stop crying for two weeks after she departed Doctor Who. So she, as I mentioned earlier, maybe it was just between you and me, Dan, when we right. were talking, that they had fi- they had shot their last episode. Yeah, and uh, I, I would be crying if I left such a cool show, too. Oh, absolutely. So I, I feel her on that one. Arthur Darville also added that it was really exciting to film his final moments on the series, especially with the Weeping Angels, which I think means that they are going to be the villains in the Pond's final episode. Yeah, they definitely are. That was a scoop that we posted on our Facebook page back, I think, mid-spring, when about the time that we found out who the new companion was going to be, that the Weeping Angels were going to make another appearance and it would be in the pawn's final episode so that definitely is and that's a that's a great great villain that they are one of my favorites if not my favorite doctor who villain when i'm horrified how that episode's gonna end there's such a bad feeling they're gonna get turned to stone oh my god you do know it's going to be a heart-wrenching end it's not going to be a happy ending so we there is a very good chance that the weeping angels may get them oh my god it's horrible (laughs) horrible god we're gonna be a mess on that episode when we review it folks just warning you that's gonna be one of our hardest episodes to review for us yeah a fan dressed as a dalek asked if there's going to be a multiple doctor episode this season and moffat said that he was not going to tell him but our research dan and mine that we found for this episode we did find some an article that maybe suggested an episode featuring matt smith david Tennant, and christopher eccleson might be in the works so there is definitely some rumors going around that this is a possibility and if you ever saw the seven minute extra that was around the one of the christmas day specials the the special that martha jones leaves in or right before martha jones leaves she you see the doctor and he he and davison's 
Doctor combine, and their two TARDISes get melded together at one point in time, so they have to fight and make sure that they can separate the two and both go back in their own pathways. And that was great because it was David Tennant and his Doctor. And that was really cool. So the current doctor getting to meet the doctor he grew up with, you know, and that was really cool. And I think to see Matt Smith, David Tennant and Christopher Eccleston to bring the three doctors that most of the fans that are in the U.S. at least are those are the our doctors. You know, I'm a David Tennant doctor, uh, although I love Matt Smith. Matt Smith is definitely one of, you know. Uh, is right up there with David Tennant, but David Tennant's my doctor. And to see, you know, there are people that I know that have been there since the very beginning. And Christopher Eccleston is their doctor, even though they love Matt Smith and David Tennant as well. But, you know, and then people who came across after Matt Smith was the doctor. Most of them, Matt Smith is their doctor because he is so amazing. He goes to the cons. He does all that stuff. Not that David Tennant didn't, but that Matt Smith is so big into that. And, and just the explosion here in the U S now that Matt Smith is the doctor, a lot more people are that, but you know, to be able to see all three people's doctors and or everybody's doctors in one episode would just be awesome, just unreal. Well, I think it's like uh, the fiftieth anniversary, or it is this so, year. Okay, yes. so I think they made you that in honor of that episode or in honor of that date. Right. So that is definitely the rumor going around that they will have the fiftieth anniversary episode be a multiple doctor episode which would be really really cool yeah let's hope we get that as for the rest of the panel it was basically rounded out with the cast of doctor who talking about what an amazing experience comic-con is for them and with that the trio of matt smith karen gillian and arthur darville took their final bow together at comic-con which was a sad moment Um, we know matt smith will return but it's sad to see these three part ways because they really have just been a lot of fun to watch together yes Quick story, Matt Smith was just awesome at Comic-Con. There were a couple of little kids that asked him questions. He had a really nice moment with a little girl at the official Comic-Con panel. Then he had a nice moment with a little boy at uh, the Nerd HQ panel. And it was fun because the kids would ask the questions. One of the kids asked him if he was scared of the weeping angels. And just on a whim, Matt Smith turned into the doctor and just said, I don't know, I'm going to fight them. I'm going to stop the weeping angels. You don't need to be scared. And it was just fun to see him just transform and be these this you know these this hero that the little kids watch on screen every week. It just it's a really cool thing, and he totally understands what the Doctor is about and how much it means the characters. And he's just a very special guy for Stephen Moffat to work with and to have as his Doctor. Yeah, and what I really loved about that was the girl asked, are you scared of the Weeping Angels? And he did say, yes, they scare me, but you don't need to be scared because I will keep them away from you. Yeah. And that was really cool. And it was. It was It was exactly like you said, Dan. He was both Matt Smith and the Doctor in that moment. And you could see that it – yes, it, it's a character that he plays and he gets paid to do it and it's what he does for a living. But he loves this character and he loves being the Doctor and he loves coming to Comic-Con and meeting people who the Doctor has changed their life. Yes, it's just, it's a silly TV show that, you know, in the great grand scheme of themes is probably not all that important. But to people like us, it is important. It is it is life-changing. And, and, and especially when you get involved in a show like this as a kid and it shows you you can you can live in your imagination and you can 
you know, it, it can, you know, and I'm sure characters like the doctor are what inspired you, Dan, to be a filmmaker and right. to be a writer. And so, yeah, I, I loved the, the way he acted in these panels because he did, he gave a bunch of credence to this character that has obviously changed his life, but has changed so many other lives as well. Well, he understands the mantle of what it means to play the doctor and be the doctor. Yes. And that character. And that's a great thing when an actor understands that. Again, it just makes him a good guy, someone that you're proud to say you enjoy and you appreciate their work. I think that playing Superman has had that influence on a lot of actors. Yes. Um, I think Tom Welling and Christopher Reeve, of course, really understood that with playing Superman. And Christian Bale also understands it as well with Batman. But he is also an actor that looks for challenges Mm -hmm. and wants to challenge himself. And that's why he's moving on from Batman at the end of this movie. So it's not that he doesn't appreciate the role. He's just looking for that next challenge. Which I respect him for that. So definitely a great thing. And I'm sure that Matt Smith will probably move on someday for that same reason. But for now, I'm just happy we have him. So uh, things you're excited. We've got to keep this quick because we're really running short on time. Things you're excited for um, and things you're concerned about with the new season. Well, I'm concerned because (laughs) it's going to be the end of the ponds. Yeah. But I am very much looking forward to these last few episodes with the ponds. We don't know when that last Weeping Angels episode will come and we will lose the ponds. But I am looking forward to seeing where everything goes with their story arc with the River Song story arc, I, I really love the River Song and the Ponds stories. So I'm wondering if when the Ponds end, does River Song and the Doctor take off? Or does it end? Or, you know, we know it doesn't end, but does it be le- is it less important to the scene, especially when he gets the new companion? How does that work? When does When's the next time we see River Song? Is it going to be before the new companion, after the new companion? And those kind of questions are what I'm really looking forward to seeing. Yeah. And obviously I'm concerned with how they're going to handle the ponds. Yeah, I'm not, I'll say this, I'm not concerned about the season. Like, I have the utmost faith in Stephen Moffat. I just don't want to go through those heart-wrenching moments. Exactly. You know, I'm dreading them emotionally, not because they're going to be poorly written or it's going to be bad. I just don't want to go through it. It's going to be excellent, and that's why it's going to rip your heart out. (laughs) Because, like, when Rose left... Oh, that was a killer. This is going to be bad. Because I really enjoyed the character of Rose. I really liked that character. And that just ripped my heart out when that happened. And I really like these characters. So I'm just like, oh, man. For the longest time, Rose was my favorite companion. And Karen Gillan is amazing. And I love her in, in the role of Amy Pond. But without... Arthur Darville and Rory, okay. the Amy Pond story arc would not have surpassed the Rose story arc for me. Right. But because these two were so brilliant and the whole River Song story arc, it it has it, it has finally surpassed Rose and the Ponds are my favorite companion and their stories are some of the best ever written. And that silence in the library, I just watched it again this last weekend. It was actually the Friday night before going to Comic-Con. It was, you know, just the perfect episode to watch that night before going because it was such a great episode. And that is the kickoff of the pond story arc. You don't realize it at the time, but when you, you go back and know what's going on, the, that was the start of the pond story arc for the doctor. Right. And that was awesome. 
So it's it is, and again, I I would if you talk about Matt Smith's first companion, you have to kind of count Rory and Amy as the same person. Oh, absolutely. Them together, yes. losing them together is going to be really hard. Absolutely, it's not going to kill the show. Oh no, because the show's built to do this. Right, but it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough. Can I think what'll ease us into that? Is still having River around. Okay. Because she's going to stick with us on the show. Yep. So there's still that connection. There's still the memory of them. So that will help us. But with that, we're kind of really running low on time. We've dragged a little bit long, which was fine because we definitely got some really great stuff out of you, Nico, about your experience being there and stuff like that. But we're really going to have to move to the closing. Yep. So you want to tell everyone what's coming up on our next episode? Yeah, our next episode is going to be another comic-con it's going to be across the airwaves comic-con special part two and we're going to cover dan and michael are going to interview me with my experience on attending the con as a fan and we're going to talk with dan's friend from columbia college bob yurda about his experience with attending the con as both an aspiring writer working as an intern on the web show husbands and also we're going to give you sort of on location interviews from brad bell the star and co-creator of husbands and jane espison the executive producer of husbands as well as the writer of once upon a time game of thrones warehouse 13 and all of of our favorite writer josh whedon's tv shows so all of those things are going to be in the next episode as we continue our comic-con 2012 coverage with both the interviews of me and dan's friend bob yurda about those interviews i don't know how they're going to work they may be email interviews that bob shares with us okay or they could be audio i'm not sure on how that's going to go and all that's going to work i know for sure we got the, the interviews and i emailed him questions to do that so we are going to get right. something from those people i just don't know what exactly but it's going to be a great episode it's going to be really interesting to have because bob got to attend the firefly panel and some of the other ones that uh, nico just didn't make it to so we're going to get a really great perspective on all the panels between you nico and bob so i'm looking forward to that episode it could be a lot of fun also, if you'd like to talk anything Comic-Con or share any news that you found out, please feel free to visit our website at www.acrosstheairways.com. There you can contact us through email at acrosstheairways at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like, you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, get our page at Across Airwaves. There's no the in there, just Across Airwaves. Then you can also hit us up at our Google Plus page. Also, if you'd like to give us any of your crackpot theories about any of the upcoming shows that are coming back this fall or want to share with us a Comic-Con experience of your own, please feel free to call us and leave a voicemail. And what's that number, Nico? 773-809-3363. Also, I'd advise you guys to check out our YouTube channel, which are going to feature all of the promos that we discussed in this Comic-Con episode. So if you want to see any of the panels live and watch what went on there, feel free to visit our YouTube channel and check out the playlist listed as Comic-Con 2012. Also on our site, we have all sorts of previews and promos to the big time summer movies that are out right now or coming out like The Dark Knight Rises. Also, if you don't want to go back through this podcast episode that listens to all the ways you can contact us, check out our Android app where you can listen to our podcast episodes and contact our podcast all through your cellular phone. So once again, for our ATA Retro Reviews host, Michael J. Petty at Woo Kim, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Redstead. And until our next episode, we will catch you on the airways. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us. It was a long episode, but I hope you all enjoyed it. See ya. So start ignition, count to zero. I-
Now return to our regularly scheduled program.